Welcome to Feminist Coffee Hour. You can find us online at feministcoffeehour.com, at Twitter at femcoffeepod, or you can send us an email to feministcoffeehour at gmail.com. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Karen. And today, joining us again, our guest is Lindsay Beierstein. Lindsay is an investigative journalist, filmmaker, and broadcaster in Brooklyn, New York. She's a lead writer at the Sydney Hillman Foundation. Her reporting has appeared in the New Republic, the Columbia Journalism Review, Newsweek, Slate, and other publications. She's the director of the award-winning documentary, Care and Chaos, which we interviewed her about previously on this show, which was produced by Rewire News Group. Welcome back to Feminist Coffee Hour, Lindsay. Thanks so much. It's great to be with you. We're so yeah. happy to have you. I just a uh, note for our listeners, we're recording this on the evening of October 1st. So if something strange happened after that, we're not going to talk about it. We are going to be talking about, <laughs> among other things, uh, Lindsay's article as a jumping off point. Um, it was an article in uh, Rewire News Group, how dangerous conspiracy theories like QAnon find a home in anti-choice politics. This was quite a read. It had like a little bit of an existential crisis after I read it. Um, but can you tell me the, the gist of your article, Lindsay? Sure. So the article is about how QAnon is taking root in anti-choice circles. And the way I went about reporting it was thinking about, I always like to look at historical precedents for things. And one of the big... The, one of the big historical precedents were anti-Clinton conspiracy theories, because what is Pizzagate, what is QAnon, if not an anti-Clinton conspiracy on steroids? And what I found when I went back to look at the historical record was that the religious right in the U.S. was a big promulgator of anti-Clinton conspiracies. So you'd had, had guys like Randall Terry, who was the head of, the, of Operation Rescue in the 90s, doing a multi-state bus tour, talking about how Hillary Clinton murdered people and the Clinton body count and this and that, and you know, right-wing documentary production companies that uh, normally did things about, you know, the trade in, in baby body parts or satanic ritual abuse. We're getting into, you know, the Clinton Chronicles, which popularized the idea of the Clinton body count and all the, all the famous anti-Clinton conspiracies we know and love from the 90s. And I really believe that they serve a similar purpose in both cases, that in, in either case, it really seems like it would naturally fit. Like there's not that much reason for somebody who is primarily concerned with, you know, sort of saving babies to be into QAnon on its face, because Q was only glancingly concerned with abortion. Like, if you look at the corpus of Q's writing, it, you know, a few references to Planned Parenthood tops is really not a preoccupation for Jim Watkins, who's most likely Q. So, for the blissfully, and I do mean blissfully, unaware, and maybe turn this off if you want to remain blissful, what is QAnon? Okay, so QAnon is a conspiracy theory that originated on uh, 4chan, and basically... Can uh, I just interject a second? Elizabeth asked the question and then sat back, smiled, and took like a deep sip of her beer. <laughs> that's and really I, the only way to approach this subject. I recommend people at home have a deep sip of something, a drag or something, whatever it takes to get through what we got to do next. So... QAnon is, is almost like a meta-conspiracy theory because you can throw any conspiracy you want into it. It all fits. But the idea is that there's somebody posting on 4chan, uh, later 8chan, now 8kun, who is a, a highly credentialed, highly clearanced uh, intelligence operative who is uh, fighting this international pedophile cabal that controls the world with the help of Donald Trump. And we're all rocketing toward the end times, the storm, which is when Trump is going to kill or capture all of his enemies. And 
you know, these include the Clintons, these include George Soros, these include the, the House of Rothschild, the House of Saud, like, and whatever other random enemies you want to throw in there from your own creativity. I feel like, you know, this is after the first debates. I feel like after listening to Trump talk at those debates where it's like, I have a point about every, like each phrase of each sentence that you've spoken so far. But the Rothschilds to me is very, them again, yes, <laughs> is my reaction, yes. like very ancient. There's so much in QAnon that's that's recycled from older conspiracy theories. So things like the Rothschilds, the who are the, you know the international Jewish bankers, who older conspiracy theories posited controlled the world, have have made their way back into QAnon. You've got uh, anxieties about George Soros, which are basically a retread of the international Jewish conspiracy. You know, this idea of this financier who's secretly pulling the political strings, controls Hollywood, controls the media, so on and so forth. And they're just all kinds of threads like this, if you look carefully at QAnon, that it's really, um, Jeet here, the writer, had this excellent analogy. He said that conspiracy theories are like cities built on top of older cities, but the residents don't know they're living on this huge midden of much older structures. I mean, I don't think of QAnon followers as doing a lot of research. Not research research. They do a lot of bugging out on video, <laughs> video conspiracy videos and calling it research, but... Well, they, they do watch, like, the next suggested video. Yeah. <laughs> For hours and hours. What I was going to say is that what's especially upsetting to me is that there are, and this is something that other commentators and YouTube, YouTubers have talked about, but there are a lot of problems in the world. Like, there is child sexual abuse. There have been former child stars who have come forward and said, I was abused in Hollywood. I was taken advantage of. There were bad situations. And when those things happened, I kind of thought that that was going to be like another Me Too movement. You know, these people were now adults. Everybody remembered them from when they were children. And now they're making these serious accusations. And that kind of just vanished into vapor. But instead, we have all of these people on the streets protesting about something that doesn't exist. It's it's bizarre to me. It really is that there's this, this displacement, that there's, there is real sexual abuse, sexual harassment going on all the time, and yet people have decided they want to focus on the imaginary stuff. Well, the imaginary stuff is kind of easier to digest. Like, there's a fully evil entity who is definitely not a family member, and definitely not someone you thought you liked, you know? They're never going to be your problematic fave. They're, they're out there. No, yeah, they're they're your problematic enemy, and that's fine. You're allowed to have that. And so I, I see the appeal in the kind of simplicity of, like, the Hollywood Nazi. Or George Soros, or, you know, piggybacking on the Epstein stuff. I mean, it is really sad, because that was a horror, that is a horrible scandal that actually does implicate a lot of powerful people in terms of, you know, how the prosecutor's office was run, how Epstein kept getting away with things, how he was able to abuse those women. And there's ample evidence that this is true. But people are taking that and running with it in the exact opposite direction away from the evidence. And I think, doing damage to all kinds of survivors. Like if I were an Epstein survivor, I would be horrified that my story was being dragged into QAnon's larger cinematic universe. It's just disgusting. I was going to talk, just talk about the, just the parallel between, you know, QAnon and Satanic Panic. Like I was a child when Satanic Panic was going on. Lindsay's a few years older than me. Karen's a few years younger than me. Like my parents 
like they had heard some of it they weren't like really into it but they had kind of like an awareness about it and like they would talk to me about like stranger danger and like if you ever listen to music and it's about the devil like let me know right away or stuff like that you know and it was definitely something that i was aware of i definitely thought that you know, child kidnapping was something that happened like all the time in every neighborhood and like that I'd probably know like one or two kids who were like got snatched off the street into vans. Like I didn't, but I, when I was a small child, I was led to believe that it was extremely common when it's, it's just not. And what I don't understand is that a lot of the people who are into QAnon are older than me. A lot of them are, are baby boomers. Some, some of them are younger. But a lot of them are people that now have lived through this twice, right? And they were adults when satanic panic was going on, and they saw how that wasn't true, and now they've gotten sucked into it again. And I don't understand how you, how you get fooled twice here. I am at a loss for that, too. I mean, it's the same thing with the anti-Clinton conspiracy theories. Like, we should have known better. The, the country got driven into a ditch with the hysteria once during the lifetime of a lot of people who are the biggest fans of this stuff. Did they ever realize that they weren't true? Or did they just kind of move on because everyone moved on and no one talks about it anymore and they couldn't really put their finger on why? I mean, I, I suppose, I mean, there was... It's sort of hard to prove a negative. So, like... It was never definitively shown that Hillary Clinton didn't murder all those people who weren't actually murdered. <laughs> I nearly spit out my dream. I mean, if you look up like all the names on the Clinton body count list, huge numbers of them are you know died in air crashes with you know things that are completely not murder. They're like there's no died of heart attacks in their bathroom at the age of seventy two. Died of cancer. You know, things like died died in corner store robberies okay, or you know things that are just clearly were not murdered by Hillary Clinton. I guess I'm going to say about two thousand and two ish. Like my uh, my sophomore college roommate and I watched that HBO movie. Uh, indictment about the McMartin trial. And then I kind of became like obsessed with it. I probably should have gotten independent study credit for all the like research I did about the McMartin preschool trial and how that like set off the satanic panic. But there've been several books written about it. Some in the late nineties, some in the early two thousands. There's a book in N plus one uh, put out a book called we believe our children was also very good. Um, Satan silence was the original Love one. That book. And then that movie. Yeah. So to me, even if, you know, you just kind of got interested in the next thing, whatever Geraldo Rivera did next, opening up that big empty vault or something. Al Capone's vault was like a highlight of my childhood, even though it was empty. <laughs> I loved that. Right. But maybe, you know, it was I love that of... if they had the guts to be like, nope, nope, there's nothing paranormal, nothing supernatural here. We're just, we're just going to act like this is a cool thing anyway. Right. But it's just been in the zeitgeist in the last two decades that that was a big mistake and we probably shouldn't do that again. And... <laughs> here we are doing it again. And it's, yep. you know, I mean, I, you know, I read your article and then I just kind of had to lay down on my floor for a few minutes and just breathe. I do that a lot anyway this year, but you know, me too. But do you want to talk a little bit more about more how the, um, you know, Operation Save America and uh, Operation Rescue are kind of using QAnon to advance their anti-choice goals? Sure. The second-in-command at Operation Rescue, Cheryl Selinger, has gone full Q. Like, if you look at her private Twitter account, it's just wall-to-wall QAnon hashtags and references. And she actually can claim that, uh, truthfully, that Q has actually cited her. So she had some inane tweet of a video of, you know, something from Fox News or something about, you know, 
Russiagate, and Q actually linked to her tweet. So now the circle has completely closed. But one of the things that OSA is doing is really hyping the whole I mean, they, they were responsible for the 2015 Planned Parenthood scandal where they did these undercover sting operations that falsely suggested that Planned Parenthood was trafficking in fetal parts for money. And this is a theme that comes up a lot. I wouldn't say a lot. It's like less than 1% of everything that Q writes about. But it's, it's a recurring theme within these Q drops that uh, Planned Parenthood is trafficking in body parts. And so the Operation Rescue folks, this is just, you can't buy publicity like that. You've got, you know, an extended audience of possibly millions of people one way or another consuming what Q is putting out, either directly from Q or through his various interpreters and commenters on it. And here they are citing this, this scandal that was engineered by Operation Rescue. Their president co-founded the organization that went on to do the sting. So it's like this vertically integrated thing for them. And I think also it's a recruiting thing because you've got people who are being brought into this, especially through things like wellness and things like the pandemic documentary, people who are not necessarily terribly political, but are being brought into the QAnon world. I think Operation Rescue may see them as susceptible to recruiting, that they may, be, they may see an opportunity of people who are like, oh, I'm kind of concerned about Planned Parenthood body parts. Well, let me tell you about Planned Parenthood. Can we talk we'll about Planned next video. Yeah. Can we talk about Plandemic for a minute? Sure. You, uh, I, I couldn't get past the first five minutes. Yeah, so I've heard yeah, I've same. heard of this, but I have I have actively avoided this. I, but really I have not actively avoided it. a lot of QAnon until now, so your article was very helpful to me. Oh my god. Um, so tell me about Plandemic. <laughs> okay, well I, I admit I've only read the debunkings of it, but it's um alternative sort of alternative documentary. I think it's in two parts now and they have and it was watched by millions of people and it's essentially arguing that um, the coronavirus pandemic is a hoax that the government for unclear reasons is trying to force a vaccine on us or something like that i mean it's difficult to summarize because from what i've read it is not particularly coherent <laughs> so what, what is the end game of the vaccine controlling people or making people sick making money for the pharmaceutical company. it's very sort of insinuating from what Microchips. i can tell like it's right. With a lot of these sort of vaccine things, it's sort of unclear why Bill Gates wants to put microchips in us. Maybe it's to sterilize us. Maybe it's to mind control us. Maybe just to maybe make he more just money wants, yeah, maybe he just wants the fetal tissue that he's putting in the vaccines to go in our body for obscure billionaire reasons. Oh, they think there's fetal tissue in the vaccine? That is a narrative that's uh, in the sort of larger pandemic community. I don't... I don't know whether pandemic specifically mentions that one, but that's a popular trope these days. So are they trying to go and get anti-vaxxers into the, like, is that the, like, oh, these people will believe things yes, and yes, believe this, things. Yeah, so huge we, numbers of susceptible people that and who so, are already conspiratorial. Yeah. So I don't know what, you know, pandemic specific marketing strategy is, but they have found immense, I don't know whether they sat down or like, who are the most gullible, conspiratorially minded people we can think of? Let's promote in their spaces. Because that would have been a stroke of genius. But I don't know whether they specifically did that, but that was the functional effect of what happened. <laughs> that QAnon spaces have just been among the most successful channels for distributing pandemic throughout, you know, online to millions and millions of people and amplifying those messages. I know someone who got into it the other way, like they're kind of left-leaning and someone had them watch Plandemic and now they're kind of tilting towards Q. It's, it's very strange how quickly this happens. 
and it's uh, very upsetting to watch in real time. Like I know a couple of people that didn't seem very right wing at all, and now they're kind of on the precipice. Like the real life implications of this are upsetting to me. Very much so. I mean, it really is astonishing, and. There are interesting forums on Reddit of people who are the friends and loved ones of people who've gone full queue, who've you know upended their lives, ruined their marriages, you've know, gotten fired from jobs because of this all-consuming obsession with QAnon. And the way people describe it, it can happen surprisingly fast. Like in a matter of weeks or months, people can go from zero to full queue. Some people talk about it in terms of actually being sort of like an addiction, like a behavioral addiction to something like video games or online gambling. That the way Q is set up, it's kind of like a virtual reality experience where you're solving puzzles and being reinforced with your friends and people can become addicted to it in as much as you can be addicted to something like a video game or a gambling program or something like that. I see a lot of value in that analysis, though I'm kind of suspicious about the idea of behavioral addictions. Yeah, Dan Olson is a YouTuber. He runs a YouTube channel called Folding Ideas, and he did a video called In Search of a Flat Earth. And he just did a video uh, about how um, people start out as flat earthers, and then they continue and they, you know, go into QAnon. And so, you know, you think the video is about one thing and it turns out to be another thing, but it makes sense that, you know, people, uh, you know, jump from one conspiracy theory to another. And in that video, he shows like a clip from uh, a QAnon drop and it has all of these questions in it. And I looked at it and I, I hadn't really spent a lot of time like looking at QAnon, but it's just like a, a series of, of questions of like how to figure things out. And I saw that and I was terrified because I looked at that and I said, this would set anybody off. Is this like the ones like, what are the three-letter agencies? You guys see this? Why is Trump surrounding himself with generals? And Ah, yes. How did Soros replace Family Y? Who is Family Y? Trace the bloodlines of these three families. What happened during World War II? Was Hitler a puppet? Who was his handler? What was the purpose? What was the real purpose of the war? What age was GS? And it just goes on like that. And I was looking at this and... What exactly happened to the Titanic? Who is A. Merkel? Yeah. What is A. Merkel's family history? What? Why is that a... She's Christian. This is for people to figure out. But she's not Jewish. <laughs> but I, I looked at this list of questions, and it literally frightened me. Like, I had to pause the video and, and breathe for a minute, because I'm a person, I'm a little bit anxious, but I know that if I was in the midst of something, this would set me off. Like, and I don't even believe in QAnon, but if I sat down and tried to do this, I think I'd have some kind of episode or something like that. I think I'd have a panic attack. So I feel very differently. I would look at this and be like, this looks like too much work. <laughs> right, but I, I can see what I mean, what do you Lindsay's find it upsetting because it's like edging up against hot button stuff? Like to me, as sort of as a Jewish person, it's like, oh boy, this sound this sounds like things that have been bad for many generations. <laughs> we should not feel this is like pogrom talk. Yes, I think it's trying to lead people down that road. And I also think that it's just suggestive enough to let people's imaginations go anywhere into whatever is lurking in their brain and just yes. open up Pandora's boxes. It's a conspiracy theory architecture. So whatever it is that you're preoccupied with when you have prompts like that, mm -hmm. it's basically inviting people to rehearse and narrate and world build new and more Baroque and more fantastic and more horrible conspiracies. 
Yes, it's supposed to be more evil and then just to unlock whatever's in them. Like, it's it's disturbing to me. Right, and I think a lot of puzzles open us up to thinking flexibly in ways that we wouldn't normally. And so I think this is kind of hijacking that by putting into it a lot of anti-Semitic nonsense and like specifically anti-German nonsense maybe because it brings up like Nazi Germany and then also Angela Merkel who has very little to do with the Nazi part of Germany but is to do with Germany. I don't know. I Trump so that could be why they're throwing her under the bus. Oh yeah, that's true. But I did want to kind of come back to a lot of the way that Q drops are distributed via 8chan and 8kun, which is ironic because 8chan was founded for the distribution of child pornography. Yep. So basically it started out back on 4chan and they had this anonymous, anonymous poster. There were actually a number of people in, in 2017 who were claiming to be anonymous agents of intelligence agencies, you know, dishing secrets on, on 4chan. Like why would any of these people, why, if you had a security clearance, why would you be there sil- spilling your secrets? But there you have it. One of them took off. So Q took off and one thing that I th- think we should always remember is that most likely Q is a creation of Jim Watkins, who's the guy that runs 8kun, and before that, 4chan and 8chan, who is this pig farmer in the Philippines, former U.S. Army helicopter mechanic or something like that. And um, if you just sort of logically trace it back, he's the person that has this, you know, Q keeps being on these on these disreputable child porn racism riddle platforms, keeps staying on those and they're all ones that Jim Watkins controls. And there's this thing called a trip code that Q has been issued. And on these Chan boards and Kuhn boards, um, people are generally anons that generally aren't identifiable. And it's very ephemeral, but uh, Watkins has given Q a, chip, a trip cl- code to um, verify that it's the same poster over and over. And Watkins can just give those to whoever he wants, including himself, So, which makes it more likely that that it is him but um yeah they do they talk about jim watkins at all in q forums no there's actually kind of a really interesting taboo about speculating at all about who q is and there's a really fascinating regardless um, though do they must know that these websites have given him the strip code for him to do that and they know the person who can do that I don't think I don't think they do. I think that I think this is something that um, you know, sort of mainstream reporters and you know fringe watchers have have teased out. And dissidents who used to work with Watkins are trying to trying to raise awareness about the existence of these things. I mean, they do know that there is a trip code that identifies Q. They definitely know that that they can track Q from one day to the next, and there's some assurance within the system that this is the same person writing, or at least the same account. Some people believe that Q is a small group of people, but you know, this is the same account again and again. But yeah, I don't I don't think that Q users have any awareness of of Watkins or anything like that in general. I, I mean, what, what individuals might, but as, as a culture, as, as a discussion, it's not something they talk about. Because a lot of them aren't getting the info from the Q drops. They're getting it from other social media accounts, people who are decoders. People have a YouTube channel that just decodes each Q drop and people have different theories as to what they mean. So, right, there's like Instagrams and YouTube and Twitter and blogs and stuff where every time there's a Q drop, all these Q influencers 
decode the Q drop and they get their own individual followings and some people only follow the decoders. Right, and they're adding whatever conspiratorial preoccupations they happen to have to the mix in their interpretations. But it's kind of interesting, in the last couple of months, Q has sort of take, reclaimed control over the narrative. That Q started out with you know, extremely specific, laughably false predictions about Hillary Clinton being arrested tomorrow and her passport being frozen and the National Guard's going to be federalized to deal with all the riots when Hillary Clinton's finally taken into custody any day now. And of course, that didn't happen. So Q veered off into this more association insinuating, you know, ambiguous stuff, like just nonsense. Sometimes it's not even as coherent as those questions that we read off. Sometimes it's, you know, just strings of seemingly random digits and things like that. Around that grew up this whole culture, like you were saying, of these interpreters, people like Praying Medic, who have very popular YouTube channels where they purport to research what all these clues mean and give some ideas to what Q is on about. But then in the last couple of months, Q has kind of gone back to being very blunt, very right-wing, you know, talking about Democrats stealing the election and Antifa setting forest fires and, you know, things like that. Just sort of the same sort of stuff that Trump is saying about, you know, trying to cast doubt on the integrity of the election and, and rile people up to possibly, possibly engage in violence around the election I'm concerned with, which nestles nicely into Q's apocalyptic kind of worldview that we're approaching the final battle in which Trump will which Trump will face down all of his enemies if, if Trump's presidency is coming to an end what are QAnon people expecting nothing good so I have questions about people were aware of Donald Trump for decades before QAnon and before he ran for president and I have this issue with all Trump supporters <laughs> because he's so obviously full of shit you know, the idea that he's some sort of politically interested person, other than like really thinking that people he doesn't like should be punished, which I can believe is a motivator for her, him rather, considering the Central Park Five uh, ad. So like in that way, he was interested in politics, but only in as much as he was grandstanding. And demagoguing. And demagoguing. Yeah, exactly. And so I guess imagining that he is some sort of crusader against pedophilia when there's all these like creepy pictures of him with young girls who are weirdly sexualized including his daughter like there's some cognitive dissonance for me in in putting those two ideas together that's like one thing where it's like how do you how do you square that circle you know i feel like this is one of the strengths of qAnon is people probably are at some level anxious about the fact that there are a million credible allegations of sexual misconduct and, you know, a self-confessed sexual assault out of the president of the United States. It's a disturbing thing to wrap one's mind around, especially if you are one of his supporters and you, be you believe that you're, a, you know, really virtuous Christian who's not okay with that kind of thing. Maybe it's easier if you convince yourself that, oh, no, he's not really a sexual predator. He's fighting a war against sexual predators. They twist stuff, other stuff around too, like Bob Mueller. A lot of QAnon enthusiasts believe that Trump and Mueller were secretly working together against the pedophiles because it upset them on some level that, you know, their guy was being investigated. So he wasn't, so they twisted it around in their minds to be like, oh, he's not really being investigated. He's actually colluding with Donald Trump to fight the pedophiles. Mueller's a good guy. He's on our side and he loves Trump too. But Mueller doesn't love Trump. No, no, none of this is true. But they just couldn't deal with the idea that Trump was being investigated. So they just, they created this whole alternative universe in which, in which Mueller is on Trump's Wait, side. So how long? Rather than saying, oh, this real Republican war hero dude is, you know, investigating our guy. It's like, oh no, that's just for public consumption. Yeah. And then some people, I think, said that like even Hillary was in on it. Like, 
<laughs> Michael Brooks, oh, rest in peace. One. He had a joke about this. He was like, imagine if it's true and tomorrow Trump and Hillary Clinton and Mueller come out and go, we got him, guys. It was all a hoax. We're all in it together. We got all the pedophiles. <laughs> Who would be the president? Yeah, who would be the president? They're both going to be president. president. What? Yeah, Nancy so. Pelosi would get to be president. <laughs> yes. And great. a new pedophile free land. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I get the appeal of that. Um, but, you know, even as I'm having this conversation with you both, I'm thinking about, you know, I study psychology and I hear myself saying, but logically, this makes no sense. And saying that to somebody is not particularly helpful in convincing them that what they're believing is not true. Uh, it not making sense really actually has very little to do with it. And so... Uh, as much as for me, this is all like a very radical and new way of thinking, I could imagine that. And so the flip side of, of my research being about online communities uh, for marginalized people and the ability to find community online and find this connection that you are being denied in the outside world, I'm not surprised that this is becoming more widespread during a pandemic where people are incredibly lonely, um, where people have lost their jobs and have a lot of free time and not a lot to occupy it at a time where the world doesn't make sense and doesn't feel stable and is scary. I would really like to be very sure that there is actually one specific thing behind it and there are people working to make it better and I can help them. Yeah, I think those are excellent observations that Q has really capitalized very effectively on people's boredom, people's confusion, people's loneliness. And in some ways, I mean, on a much smaller and more logical extent, the left did that with both Robert Mueller and with Patrick Fitzgerald. There is sort of an interesting kind of parallel. Sometimes Q feels like, you know how you have elves and then you have drow elves, like the opposite world where everything is evil? Sometimes the Q machinations really do feel like the drow version of some of the more fevered resistance research projects. I can see that. Okay. I have a question for Karen as someone who studies psychology and for Lindsay as someone who's read a lot more about Q than I have. How can you talk to someone who's... I'm not going to say someone who's totally into it because some people I wouldn't even bother. But if you think someone's kind of teetering on it or a little bit getting into it, like, should you say anything? Is there is there any way to pull somebody back off that edge? It's a tough one because one of the things that Q is really good and sophisticated at doing is making people distrust all the normal sources of information. So distrusting academia, distrusting the media, distrusting the government. And what are you left with? when you try and convince someone that these things are not happening, well, you can't point them to any media articles because they don't trust that. You can't point them to any government statistics because they don't trust that. You can't point them to, you know, statistics of the police departments and don't trust that. Like, so it's really difficult to even get any kind of purchase to, to talk to them rationally. Maybe your only leverage is just the relationship that you have with that person and whether that person respects you as a logical thinker or somebody to be listened to, but I'm not even sure that works particularly well. I wish I had a more optimistic gloss on this, but they're really good. Once, once, the, once Q gets their hooks into someone, it's really difficult for any one person to talk them out of it. From my perspective as a, like a clinical psych person, you know, I attended a training on um, CBT for schizophrenia last week, actually. And when you think about schizophrenia, I think one of the most salient aspects of the illness is not necessarily the hallucinations, but bizarre beliefs. And so I'm trying to think about, you know, 
I don't think logical uh, challenges work, and I don't think relationship leverage is actually effective as a strategy for changing the person's mind, but it might be a useful strategy for people to protect themselves from this person with really toxic beliefs. Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I don't want to downplay those as options, but I think, because I think the idea that it's your responsibility to deprogram your loved one is just like too large of an undertaking for a lot of people. But um, my guess would be is you would want instead to focus on, well, what are your goals? What are the things you'd like to do? And what are the things you can do to address these things? Like I, I hear you say like how, how much you're going through in learning about these really horrible things that are happening around you. And I'm wondering, is there anything that you would like to do or what were or remind them of their goals before they hit cue? So, you know, oh, you know, I hear that this is really upsetting you. How is your thesis going? You know, I hear this is really upsetting you, but I'm worried that it's distracting you from your family you know, and I don't know that there's anything you could do really to impact this. It looks like Trump's got it. So like, why don't you do the best that you can do to make sure that we're all ready for the world that's coming, you know? And in that way, I guess it's playing in a bit more than it is uh, combating the belief, but their belief is like kind of tangential. Like you're not gonna tell somebody that doesn't make sense and that they're gonna be like, oh, you're right. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the two people I know that are kind of teetering on this edge just really hate the lockdown and all the restrictions and the social distancing. So, so yeah, I feel your pain. Social distancing is really hard. I know you want to go to a bar. I know you want to have a party in your house. You really can't do that right now. But if you believe that it's all a hoax, it's all from 5G, then you can, you can have a party because you're not going to Yeah, get- but you can't break your phone. Right, exactly. An alternative, like, oh, you know, we can't go to the bar, but maybe we could go to the park and have a picnic and none of us leave our picnic blanket so we can make sure that we're all the same distance apart. Oh, I, I know. I, I'm, I'm doing that stuff. But I think trying real hard to obey all the rules is a little bit bittersweet. And for someone who's real angry about them, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be pessimistic, but I'm, I'm feeling that right now. As a clinical psychologist, what do you think about the importance of setting boundaries within your relationships with somebody like that. Like if you've got a parent who is, has suddenly gone full cue, is it helpful? Is it safe? Is it a good idea to just be like, okay, well, we're never going to, I'm never going to discuss this with you. I don't want to hear anything about the cue part of your life. I don't want to bring your, I don't want to bring your grandchildren around if you're going to talk about cue. So I do want to clarify, I'm, I'm not a clinical psychologist yet. I'm a clinical psychology student <laughs> um, because that's a professional title with a legal implication. Um, but, you know, I can't say for individuals what would be best um, for their relationships. I think, you know, Elizabeth, I think, and I talk about this a lot about kind of family relationships and how people have different tolerances for different kinds of behavior and different, what is it like, um, Happy families are all alike, but yeah. <laughs> dysfunctional families are all dysfunctional in their own special way, which I'm, I'm butchering that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. And I don't think all happy families are alike, but um, <laughs> I think I couldn't give specific advice. But my, I mean, I would like to give people permission to tap out for a little while and just take some time to themselves if someone in their life is overwhelming them. 
that always seems like good advice. So I did want to kind of come back to this article again, because we, we talked a little bit about the religious right and how kind of evangelical Christianity became like ultra right wing Trump supporters who is completely the antithesis of evangelical values. And so in a similar way, I think it's not going to be surprising for our listeners to understand that these uh, anti-choice organizations have become part of this QAnon world or the people behind these alliances or whatever you'd want to call it between uh, these organizations and QAnon. Are they QAnon believers? I doubt it. I suspect that they are QAnon grifters. Like this is a, a grift that we can tie to our grift. Yeah, it's hard to know. I think some of those, I think some people, I think Cheryl Selinger is a true believer. I just get, I mean, both about the anti-choice stuff and about the uh, QAnon stuff. I mean, she actually went to prison for conspiring to bomb an abortion clinic. Like this woman believes what she's, what she's putting out there, though she now assures us that she is not into violence anymore. I should mention that, <laughs> even though I don't believe a word of it. I think throughout the community, there's this whole spectrum of people from you know, absolute fanatics to complete grifters just interacting and scamming each other back and forth. It's kind of fascinating to watch. One of the more disturbing aspects of your article, and there were many, many was that there have been several people, more than I had known, um, that have been driven to violence or attempted violence over the QAnon conspiracy. I only thought that there had been one or two, but there have been many more. And I wanted to ask you, I guess, two things. One is, did I just miss them? They were covered. They were when I I remember sort of vaguely remember the only one that I'd missed was the second was the second attack on Comet Ping Pong. <laughs> Right. I feel so bad for the guy that owns that place. There's a crazy irony that I wanted to talk about that I didn't have a chance to put in the story, mm-hmm. which is that Comet Ping Pong is owned by this guy who used to date David Brock, who was the guy who wrote the article in the American Spectator back in the 90s that kicked off the Paula Jones lawsuit and the whole impeachment thing, ultimately. And he believes that he was targeted because he used to date David Brock, who then went and became an intimate of Hillary Clinton's, like an intimate campaign associate. David Brock does media matters now, right? Yeah, yeah, and de- various Democratic consulting stuff. And, but he believes that that was why Comet Ping Pong surfaced in the Pizzagate conspiracy as being the nexus of child sex trafficking because of his connection to David Brock because David Brock is now viewed as an apostate in those sorts of circles because he turned his back on the right wing and wrote a whole book about you know, the horrible things the right wing had done. To, and just, I think that was his, breaking, his personal breaking point, but he had this whole prior career as a, as a right wing journalist that kicked off the Clinton impeachment scandals. Blinded by the Right, it's a very good book. It is. I haven't read that in ages. I should look at that again. Yeah, and then um, I guess my second question is that, you know, we're talking about the election before, and you're talking about, you know, violence spurred on by QAnon, which said the president egging on the Proud Boys, and people are talking about, uh, I haven't read it yet, but there's an article about people should be prepared for a lot of civil unrest between the election and the inauguration, like no matter what happens. Do you think some of that is going to be coming from QAnon or their supporters? Yes. I mean, I think it's, it's, a, it's an echo chamber. You've got your, your right-wing media, you've got your right-wing political candidates, you've got QAnon, and QAnon just obviously echoing and amplifying that stuff, which then goes out into the ether, and you know, it's like a virus circulating and mutating, and just, or feedback on a microphone going up and up and up and up, and you can just see it happening, and it's, it's hard to trace a lot of these ideas, like, did they start with QAnon, or did they start with somebody else and get hoovered up by QAnon? But I'm extremely concerned about... I'm extremely concerned about people 
the RNC is trying to get tons of people to watch at the polls, which they're now allowed to do because the consent decree was eliminated under the Voting Rights Act, and they have carte blanche to, to go out and do these operations where they take people to the polls to, quote-unquote, defend, their, including possibly armed people. I mean, the court case that resulted in the consent decree to begin with was a case in the 80s where, people, where the Republicans got armed people to go to the polls, and now that off the table and they can go back to doing the exact same things. And I'm really concerned with the way that all different levels of the right, including QAnon, but especially Trump is amplifying Kyle Rittenhouse and putting him forward as a martyr after he murdered two Black Lives Matter protesters in Kenosha. And you've got people, you've got you know, Operation Rescue and Operation Save America hyping the idea that Kyle Rittenhouse is a hero and that we should all be out there with our guns defending businesses against rioters, which are caused by the Democrats and fires that are caused by Antifa and, you know, just textbook horrible rabble-rousing stuff that just seems tailor-made to get people with guns into the streets intimidating people at the polls. Yeah, I do think that one thing about the past few years with Trump running for president has been, and like also like people like Ted Cruz where like, you know, I don't know if you saw that interview with Chris Cuomo where I... I saw a still from it, but I didn't actually watch the video. Oh, so... There I was, was just thinking like a, he looked like such a derelict. There was like a miscommunication and Ted Cruz was like, why didn't so-and-so do something? And, and Chris Cuomo was like, no, I'm talking about uh, Donald Trump, the man who called your wife ugly. <laughs> and like just seeing Ted Cruz uh, simp for Donald Trump, like I think there's something about it that has been really exposing of the game of politics, the cynicism under the the air of authenticity that we we wanted to be lied to for a long time. Uh, and I think now we're like, you know, maybe maybe being lied to has jumped the shark. Yeah. <laughs> can only hope. And yet we have bakers. I don't bakers get... Bakers assembling crumbs. Ah, I was going to say, where does baker come from? Okay, assembling yeah, crumbs. The QAnon theory of bread is something akin to making particle board. <laughs> I'm glad that we could make jokes about this horrifying aspect of America right now. So I think my final question is, um, are you going to be watching the results on election night? Absolutely. Oh, you have also, to, it's your job. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, I mean, I don't think anybody's paying me to do it particularly. I mean, but, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely will. And um, I've been talking to, you know, my partner and my closest friends we're talking about you know we might have to go to dc we might have to go protest so we're you know trying to make plans to make sure that we can do that as expeditiously as possible if it comes to it and i hope other people will have those conversations too because i think there could easily be a long drawn out ugly fight over who gets to become president even if joe biden wins decisively and i have to I think we have to be prepared to go out and get in the streets and get loud and do what we need to do I am really concerned about what could happen next in terms of like the amount of violence that we could see. I mean, I don't want to scare people. I don't want to be alarmist, but I believe that, you know, at least a couple of people will die in election related violence this year. Undoubtedly. Mm -hmm. Relative to all the other things that could kill you this year, statistically, it's going to it could be small, but I mean, this is the U S we're not supposed to have people dying in election related violence. So the end of American exceptionalism is what I'm hearing. <laughs> So it's not all bad. <laughs> the people who have beliefs about American exceptionalism being uh, a given are probably not the people who will stop believing that if there's election violence. I've been thinking about that too. Like, how safe is it going to be to protest? 
is it going to be dangerous? Is it going to be safer in New York than in DC? Like, these are questions that don't really have answers, but I know that lots of people are considering. And I feel like that's the important thing is to think about them now and to talk about them with people that you're close to and just make a plan. It doesn't have to be the world's most perfect plan. It can be subject to revision, but like what the research shows is that having rehearsed, having prepared, having thought about something, so you're not just winging it in the moment when everything is so uncertain, increases the likelihood that you'll do something and something constructive. Get a VPN and don't use it to go to Kun. Hey, Kun, yeah. <laughs> I, I followed it, it long enough for when it became 8chan. I have not, I had not known about 8kun. When I found out I was going to come on here, I went on Twitter to canvas how you actually pronounce it, because I only really read it. And it is somewhere between 8kun and 8kun. Sort of middle, it's not quite a, a phoneme that exists in English. So I think within English pronunciation, it's right either way. <laughs> All right. Or we're wrong to the same degree. And, you know, um, you could ask your, go on Facebook, find either your local resist group or your local Black Lives Matter group and ask what the protest plan is for election night of that week. Yeah. Because if you don't know where to start, those are people that have been thinking about this. Yeah. And there's already some infrastructure around uh, Black Lives Matter groups, Justice for George Floyd, uh, Instagram is one that I follow, and they really aggregate pro protests. I know the New York City Dyke March Committee has been really involved in marshalling for these marches in the same way that they marshal at the Dyke March, which didn't happen this year because of COVID, just repurposing trained marshals. Well, that's great. Dyke March is always like one of the best events of Pride. I was sad that wasn't happening this year but I'm glad that people are putting that energy to constructive use yeah and um, one thing that I thought of is if you think that somebody you love is a danger to themselves or others take away their firearms you're allowed to do it clandestinely you're allowed to upset them by doing it if you are listening to this and you have a loved one who is lost to QAnon I'm gonna give you permission right now not legal permission emotional permission to steal their firearms <laughs> i'm not a legal expert don't listen to me about legal things i'm also not a psychology expert yet i, I only have a master's degree but you're and on the road you get, you're getting there neuroscience <laughs> mark Marin used to have a segment with almost dr steve we can have like almost dr karen <laughs> So I guess our message to people about the election and the interim period is to make a plan, make a plan to vote, make a plan to protest. Exactly. And be ready, be ready. Also be ready to hear some crazy shit from people you respect who have been taken down the Q rabbit hole <laughs> and help tether them to the here and now rather than challenge their, their beliefs. So now seems a good time to give a programming note to our listeners. And then this is going to be the last episode that we record. No, the last episode that will be released before their election. And in November, there will be an episode, but it will probably also be recorded before the election. So you're probably not going to hear from us having known whatever the result is until December. So just putting that out there. We have a couple ideas for November. It's going to be something good. I'm not going to ask you for predictions because I don't. <laughs> but um, anything in this landscape huh? <laughs> i need to lock in with biden 400 electoral electoral votes just on general principle it's a good it's a good prediction i like that one biden 400 and riots at the polls that's my okay prediction. it was good what about the senate and the senate i think we could take it back i think there's like a 60 percent chance we'll do it those are good predictions it's also possible that by december we won't know who won so 
just putting that out there. I think that's important to say. Uh, Karen yeah. looks terrified. But yeah, I, don't I like hope everybody's making a plan to vote however works best for them. Um, ideally, yeah. if it's possible for you early and in person, but uh, whatever you're doing, you should be making a plan and talking to the people close to you about what their plan is to vote. And if you've done a certain kind of voting, like if you've gotten a mail-in ballot, I know in New York State, uh, and I've already had a, a couple of people in my social circles or larger social network group chats where uh, we kind of talk people through what you choose if your coronavirus fear is temporary illness, um, temporary or permanent illness or disability is the reason why you need a mail-in ballot and things like that. Like if you know the particulars, check in with your friends, see if they know the particulars or where to find those particulars if you don't have personal experience with them. So you can find me on Twitter at Miss Cherry Pie. And you can find me at uh, Karen. And you can find me at Beierstein, B-E-Y-E-R. And where can people find your work? You can find my work on Rewire. That's the main place these days. I've got a piece coming out in Vice ah, and Vice. other places. But. Uh, oh, cool. Can you tell us what it's going to be about? Yeah, it's about um, a pre-release center in Montana. That um, Montana has this system where people go, it's sort of a step down from prison, where you're expected to be both essentially a prisoner in a minimum security prison and a minimum wage worker at the same time. And it works out about as well as you would imagine. So Thank hopefully you. it'll be out by the time, actually probably shortly after this episode drops. I'll be back in a week or two, so. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. It's been super fun. You've been listening to the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast, tackling political rumors from the feminist outer boroughs of New York City. If you like our podcast, please support us at our Patreon, which you can find at www.patreon.com slash feministcoffeehour, or, you know, do a Google for Patreon and Feminist Coffee Hour. Our patrons get early releases of episodes, plus other cool perks at higher levels. If you can't support us financially, you can always give us a five-star rating on iTunes and write us a review as it helps the algorithm know we're there and that people like us, like you. Our intro and outro music is Making It Hard by Bridget Ellsworth, and you can find her music on SoundCloud.